listeners. It's Jana. Today, we're bringing you another episode of Who Died, a podcast that we host here, and it is created and produced by Amy Craig. And in today's episode, Amy talks with Melissa about her father, Larry, and what does it mean to have time with someone before they die? What does that look like? And how does that affect our grief? So we hope you enjoy today's episode and tune back in soon for another episode of Grief Out Loud. Thanks for listening. After he died, shook his ashes a little bit, but then I had to hug them. Some people die suddenly and unexpectedly. Others are given a diagnosis and their families know for months or years that they might die. And then there are people like Melissa's dad, Larry, who also went by his trucker named Garfield. Yeah. What was it like when he got the diagnosis? Um, I don't know. I, um, I could still kill my dad for this. If he was still here, I would be so mad at him. Uh, he actually didn't tell anyone and none of us found out that he had congestive heart failure until the last three weeks of his life. So I, yeah, I could still kill him. Didn't already kill him. I would like to do that myself. This is Who Died. I'm Amy. I created this podcast to talk to people about their dead loved ones. I wanted to hear about the people that we miss, the people that we've loved and that we still love. If you've had a person die, you might know the specific kind of joy and relief that comes from talking about your person. To me, it feels like talking about my person validates my grief and lets my person not be forgotten. It might sound a little cliche, but it does not feel that way. It feels necessary in order to be okay in this world without that person. In most of these episodes, I focused on the dead person's life. But as I was putting together this episode about Larry, I was struck by just how much you can learn through hearing about his death. And it is hard to deny that sometimes death shapes our experience of our person in really big ways. So what you'll hear is mostly the story of Larry's death. But this isn't a morbid story. You'll hear a lot of life and a lot of laughter. And before we get to the dying part, here are a few stories that shed light on living Larry. Oh, jokes. He had jokes yeah. for days. Yeah. Um, my grandpa has this story. Um, it was at one of his brother's funerals. And it's after a formal funeral and they're at the, is it a wake that's after a funeral where you have like, yes, food and stand around and talk. And uh, it's at my grandpa's brother's funeral. My dad has this giant circle of people around him and he has the entire group of people cracking up. He's telling stories and jokes and like at a funeral, that's that's my dad, you know, <laughs> make the best of any situation. And he just never really let too much get him, get him down. And Christmas was always a hoot and a half with him. And so my little brother was this little duffer and um, he'd gotten several packages in a row of clothes. Um, and so his like third package of clothes was socks and he's a little, little guy. So he picks the socks up and throws them straight on the ground um, and goes, oh, socks. And so anytime anyone in my family 
ever got socks or clothes. My dad was always throwing them down on the ground. Oh, socks! He made sure that everybody knew that story, so. When Melissa finally did find out what was going on with her dad's health, it wasn't from her playful sock-throwing dad. She actually wasn't sure she'd get to talk to him again. So yeah, I was out camping and I never am out of cell phone range. And like the one weekend I'm out of cell phone range is when he went into the hospital and my grandparents found out that it was pretty bad. And so they're trying to call me. So I come home on a Sunday to a whole bunch of cell frantic cell phone messages from my grandma, my little brother. And I find out that my dad's in the hospital and he's got like a breathing tube in and is really sick. And at this point, none of us really know what's going on. Um, And then after like what seems like an eternity of probably more than really just a couple days, like I finally talked to a doctor and realized that he's got congestive heart failure and is likely dying. Um, So I get on a plane pretty much within like a day and um, go back home and he's in the hospital for I don't know, maybe a week or so. Um, And they didn't think that he was going to be able to get the breathing tube out because his heart was functioning so poorly. And um, against all odds, he was able to get well enough that he was actually able to support breathing on his own and then get well enough to be released from the hospital. And the doctors, or when we had a meeting with them, were just like, yeah, you've kind of pulled essentially like a Christmas miracle here and most folks wouldn't recover from this and get out and um, my dad when he actually was able to get the breathing tube out we were all there for that Um, his first words in this really raspy voice were get me out of here not like hey I love you I'm so happy to see you just get me out of here Like I said, you learn a lot about Larry by hearing these stories that took place while he was dying. A few things you've likely learned already, he was not super excited about medical care, and he was very interested in making people laugh, which he did again on his way out of the hospital. I brought him in a whole bag of clothes, and I just kind of picked a bunch of stuff from his house. I'm helping my dad get dressed when he's getting released from the hospital, help him get his socks on, and... He changed into the underwear by himself, thanks God. Didn't have to help him with that. And we get the shorts up, and then I hand him the belt, and he's like, Melissa, this I think this isn't going to fit. It looks a little loose. And I was just like, I kind of brushed it off. I'm like, oh, we're only going to the car. Like, he showed me, and it kind of looked okay. Of course, the nurse has to wheel him out to the car. We're at the car, and I made him, like, sit for a second before he got up so I could take a picture because he was so excited to get released from the hospital. He goes to stand up and I put my phone away and I'm very sad of this because when he stood up, his shorts fell all the way around his ankles and he totally mooned the nurse in his tidy whities And at this point, my dad has um, lost a lot of muscle mass and his um, tidy whities have and he's lost some weight too. His tidy whities have become saggy, loose tidy whities. So they're really hanging off his ass and are super baggy. And I quickly hauls his shorts up and is sort of like a little embarrassed, but like 
kind of laughing too. And like my 85 year old grandparents are there and so are my brother. And we're all just busting up laughing. And my poor dad, we couldn't stop giggling the entire way home about it. And he's good naturedly chuckling about it. But a part of like his face is also like, yeah, yeah, laugh it up, chuckles. But it was also like he knew it was funny, but it was just hysterical. We called his release from the hospital his jailbreak because he so desperately wanted to get out. So his jailbreak was a little bit humor, more humorous than I think he wanted it to be. But <laughs> kind of fitting. They had a week at his home together before he died. I'm always very curious about this part of someone's story if it exists. It's the part where the person is likely dying but hasn't died yet and you have time with them. I had none of this kind of time. My dad was alive and then I got a phone call that he was dead. Sometimes I really, really wish that I'd had some dying time. But listening to Melissa talk about it, maybe I've idealized dying time, especially because you don't actually know how much dying time you have until the person is dead. I asked Melissa what that dying time was like for her, and whether she had asked her dad why he hadn't told her that he was sick. So, no, we didn't really talk too much. In some ways, I wish I'd asked him stuff more, but in other ways, it kind of just felt like it was sort of a moot point, and part of me wishes I asked him why he didn't tell us, and part of me just kind of felt like it was sort of besides the point, and I hung out with him a little bit and watched TV with him and just took care of him. He slept a lot, which it was hard to know if he was just really tired, and he was on some new meds, and because of heart failure, he was on a ton of meds, too, and He was also diabetic and had poor kidney function. Um, So it was just hard to know if it, like, his sleeping was from the meds or um, just because he was really wiped out from being in the hospital. He said thank you for everything, which for my dad was a lot. Um, But mostly he just kind of ran around the house in his underpants and slept a lot and didn't eat very much. Um, I definitely saw more of my dad in his underpants than I ever have before, or um, yeah, more more dad time in underpants than I ever wanted. Um, just like, oh God, dad, put some pants on, <laughs> shorts, anything, just not the underpants. And he even wore his underpants, even though he knew I had company over right in front of the company. Hey, maybe if you feel that poorly or you think maybe you're dying, you just, don't care and you walk out in front of people in your underpants. I mean, one night he was, we'd been doing work on his house to kind of clean it up because he'd been, you know, sick for a while and a lot of stuff had gone um, by the wayside that needed to be taken care of and he just wasn't physically capable of doing anymore. And so my, one of my friends and I had been doing work in his house and had come in in the evening to um, figure out a game plan for food and my dad was kind of breathing really shallow rapid breaths and like didn't look very comfortable and didn't look super good and he's like oh no I'm fine and it's just like "Mm, I don't I don't think so and my grandma happened to come down it was just like grandma dad doesn't look very good he says he's fine but I don't believe him and uh, we ended up calling 911, and he didn't refuse them to take him away. And uh, 
he ended up passing away the next day around noontime. It's just like, Dad, I'm so mad at you. Like, I think I understand why he didn't. But at the same time, I really wish he had told us. It would have made it a lot easier. Well, not easier isn't really the word. Um, I would have done a lot of things in my life differently, but I don't think that my dad wanted that. And I think it's probably one of the reasons he didn't um, tell me um, or his parents or my brother for that matter. Larry wanted his kids to live their lives and not worry about him. At least that's what it sounds like to me. But once the person is dead, there are usually no more answers. You don't know why they made the choices they made if you never asked. You can guess, you can make assumptions based on what you do know, but you never actually know. And then while you're grieving and you have your unanswered questions, you have to make some big decisions about your person's stuff. Melissa had to make a decision about her dad's dog. The weight of that decision makes sense if you know just how much Larry loved dogs. My dad used to take the favorite dog, uh, Juniper. He had a motorcycle and she was this Spiegel mix. And uh, she would stand on the gas tank or sit on the gas tank between his legs and they would go riding around town. I felt guilty when my dad was sick and thinking about his impending death because I'm like, Oh God, what do we do with the dog? I want to get a dog soon, but I don't want my dad's dog. And I felt so guilty thinking that. I think I was just felt really guilty that like, I felt like obligated to take the dog because it's my dad and I loved him and he loved this little creature, but it wasn't the dog I would choose for myself. And I was worried I'd just feel really stuck and frustrated instead of like giving the dog love like it wanted. So it's grief is weird and what those things where you're like I feel terrible that I don't want the dog that I don't really want and I feel like I should. The dog ended up going to live with Melissa's grandparents and then Melissa and her family had to make decisions about Larry's final send-off and it turns out you can learn a lot about a person based on what their family decides to bury them with. We actually had really fun a lot of fun burying my dad so um, we put in with his ashes um his favorite hat, I put in the CD that was last in his car. I bought a new one because his version was pretty um, scratched up, but it was White Snake's Greatest Hits. My dad loved rock and roll. Like, if there's one thing I associate with my dad, it's rock and roll music from a time we were a little kid. It was just always blaring, and he was diabetic towards the end, and he um, was really weird cleaning out his house and finding all these giant chocolate bars because he had never been a sweet person in his life when we were growing up at all. I have no memories of him really getting into like sweets or anything, but he had tons of them hidden. So we had, we buried him with a couple bars of chocolate and uh, he also really liked to drink. So I thought about putting a bowl beer in there, but I was a little worried with uh, New Hampshire and the ground freezing that it might explode. And even though it's in theory a closed urn, it still might make a mess in there. But um, so I wrote him a letter and put in some pictures and plastic bags um, of me and him and my brother and my grandparents and just some family memento pictures. So it just felt weird putting him in the little burial box and having it be so 
empty and quiet because that wasn't my dad. So it, it felt weird to send him off without a few of his favorite things and some, some other stuff. So we put some familiar comforting things in with him and that felt better. Um, he was just such a loud, colorful guy. Quiet box just wouldn't have, if we'd buried him, I would have snuck some things in there too because it just wouldn't have been a proper send off for him without some stuff. Melissa's dad, Larry, was born December 11th, 1956, and he died September 12th, 2016. So you don't know Larry by hearing about his death, any more than you would know him if you had a conversation with him. But you likely now have a sense of him. He's more known to you now than he was 15 minutes ago, and I find that comforting. It's a relief to me that our dead people can live on a bit in our memories and in the sharing of those memories. And maybe that's a relief to you too. This is Who Died. I'm Amy. The theme music is by Jake Kaplan. Additional music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening.